Hey everyone, welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Stefan Hagen, and this is part three of our conversation on prayer. And we're going to be wrapping up the Lord's Prayer, the last few verses about our daily bread, forgiving debts, forgiving our debtors, and not giving in to temptation, but being delivered from evil. So we are grateful that you are joining us in this conversation. And this will be the final episode of this season as we are now concluding season three of Searching the Sacred. And we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back with season four in the near future. Thanks again. And now let's get to our final installment of this series on prayer. We ended our last episode um, wrestling with this question of what is ours to do? If we're asking for God's will, what does that mean about our actions? And that seems to transition actually in an interesting way into the next part of the prayer of give us this day our daily bread. And so, um, because I think sometimes, at least for me, I've read that as a very passive part of the prayer. Um, God, give me, give me food. Um, But there's an interesting thing to sit with there of, first of all, giving us this day, that that word for this day can mean today, it can also be tomorrow. Um, And it's really this, this sort of, interesting sort of glimmer in time of like, there's something about it's now, it's tomorrow, it's not next week, it's not a year from now, it's apiosios, there we go, apiosios. So it's needful daily for substance. So it's give us something about today's substance. But then the word for bread that is there is about a raised bread, um, a raised loaf of bread, which if we're not asking for God to drop a raised loaf of bread on our table, then to me, there's a way to hold this as like a prayer that has a request for sustenance with our action tied to it, because how does it become a raised loaf of bread? We have to make it there. We're asking God for something that we then are participating in. If there's something that we need for today, that becomes a raised loaf of bread. Unless we think there's ovens up in heaven. (laughs) Right. Well, and like the give is in the imperative. And so like, is it like, are we commanding God to give us bread? Like, is that like, I mean, an imperative is a direct command. Mm -hmm. Whoever hears it is supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. So in some way, it's an interesting way to think about like this command and is the command also for us? Is the, well, is I mean, the command contextually, for like for, for anyone who's hearing it, hmm. like, I mean, again, if it's corporate prayer, if it's everybody to get, like, I don't, I'm just curious of like, is it just about God giving it to us, which is often how I envision it? But if it is that raised loaf and it's a command, there has to be another alternative to it being drop a loaf from heaven. Mm-hmm. So I think context is maybe helpful. And, and it, so we're talking about a marginalized, potentially oppressed, or, or just not potentially oppressed people group who bread is not always the easiest thing to come by. Like the Roman Empire is pretty famous for like hoarding bread and then distributing it in order to gain power. So bread is not the most well 
supplied commodity, um, which is essential for life. We also have this history of daily bread back in the wilderness. And so when Jesus says, even though it's a raised bread by saying a daily bread, like for today or tomorrow, but this kind of immediate need, there's, there's definitely a hearkening back to that idea. And I, I can't help but like, yes, it's like a give us and it's like an imperative, but is it less from like a demand and more from like a plea? Like, like Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't make it today without bread. Like, give me that much at least. Like, you know, it's 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 one thing for like someone sitting in like the basement office of a home in New Brighton, Minnesota to say, give me my bread, you know? It's not like a petulant child who just like has a craving. It's another thing for someone who's like marginalized, oppressed, doesn't always have enough food and has this history of a people group that like literally survived day by day from the sustenance of the God saying like, I need that. <laughs> like, otherwise there is no me or us in existence. It, well, I'm just going to read the na- the first nations version translates it and says, provide for us day by day, the elk, the buffalo, and the salmon, the corn, the squash, and the wild rice, all the things we need for each day, which makes me That's think, beautiful. I mean, there's partly like what it does is it kind of opens up like um, yeah, like all those things are, they're available to you, you, but there is work that you have to do. Like you have to go catch the salmon or kill the elk. Like there's a, there's a work to be done. And it also, in some ways, oh, Jason, I'm also, it reminds me a little bit too. And I think this is why I, like, I wonder about the us and like our role in it, because there are so many people who might have prayed for daily bread and have died of starvation, right? Like there's a, there is a yep. tension in that prayer and so like in some ways it is that reminder of being able to like how do we um i don't know maybe there is a caution towards overconsumption or how like how do we see people next to us and even around the world like yeah i mean it's that like we say it kind of flippantly when we talk about like elon musk buying twitter like you could solve hunger Mm-hmm. and what does that mean for us like what do we like what do we do with all that well and, and and again we're coupling this with like thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven right mm-hmm. and well maybe the will is that if you have bread you share it with those saying give us our our bread right and i think that's what you're getting at is like what do those of us in positions of power and privilege do with the power and privilege that we have when the world is starving when the world is saying we can't make it today. Um, I have a, I have a shirt that I love minimum, from, right? yeah. um, from the happy givers um, that says, if you find yourself with more than others, build a bigger table, not a taller fence. Love it. Um, that idea of like, are we, especially because this prayer has already put us in the same household. If God is our father, we're a part of the same household as the rest of humanity. <laughs> I'm not praying for my food. I'm praying for our food. Provide for the entire household. Am I looking around and saying, oh, look at what's at my table? Yeah. Me making this request, I need to be aware of who doesn't have a spot at the table. Because it is our daily bread. It is not my daily bread. Mm -hmm. And, And I love what you said earlier, Jason, about like the history of being provided manna, because I think that's also then... Um, I love reading scripture in a way, not only what's said, but what's not said, Jesus could have said manna here. 
People would have known what he was talking about if he had said, give us today this manna. If Jesus had given us a model of prayer that said manna, then the prayer would be asking for the kind of food that only God can provide and that God provides it every day. And all I do is wake up and collect what God has provided. That would have made sense to people. They would have had the historical imagination for that prayer. And that's not what he used. He used the word bread, the kind of bread that I make and participate in. And that perhaps is telling is telling that this does have a role for us that it doesn't say manna here, <laughs> daily bread. Well, and and I think it's really important because there sometimes although it's a wilderness and although it's a wandering or it's a and maybe a not ideal, there's like a romanticizing of the wilderness um, that is like oh man the wilderness journey like that's just like where you like God just shows up so tangibly. Yet God was using that space to like form this people so that they were ready to inherit this land and govern it with like grace and to be a blessing to other nations. They weren't a blessing to other nations in the wilderness. They were getting ready to be a blessing to other nations in the wilderness. And so like, if yeah, you're right. If Jesus would have said manna, it would have said like, hey, you're not ready and you're not going to be ready. Like just like you're in prep mode for the rest of eternity. Like I think by saying like, the bread it's like come on now like we know what this is about like use your power use your privilege and get the job done for everybody else i I just was curious like maybe they were but maybe they were a blessing in the wilderness because what if there were strangers that came in and wanted to join them i feel like the manna was abundant mm-hmm. enough that new people could come in and they were provided for like there was always yeah. enough like that it's an interesting thing to think about like what happens in the wilderness but like maybe like maybe it's that you continue to learn the lesson that there's always that welcoming somebody in doesn't have to cost you yours. Right. Yeah. And we need to go back to the wilderness to learn that lesson. Right. I mean, we we talked about how Ezekiel is up on the mountaintop and what does he have to do is traverse all the way through all of Israel and go back into the wilderness in order to like hear from the Lord. And like, so I don't think there's a, an abandonment of the wilderness, but I think we also have to remember that we go to the wilderness so that we can get ready to step back in and do the work that we're called to, um, and, 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 and participate in what kind of like Lisa said, be co-creators with what God is up to. Um, and that's, that is the calling is to be that healthy dynamic co-creator with God for the sake of, you know, the flourishing of humanity, the flourishing of earth, the flourishing of, of my own being, right? Which takes us to verse 12, actually. And this place, this it's kind of a part of the prayer I feel uncomfortable with because of the way it leads into what Jesus says afterwards that we read in the first episode, which is this forgiveness where we're not just asking for forgiveness. We're saying, forgive us as we have forgiven others. And then after the prayer, Jesus says that others are forgiven when you forgive them and not forgiven when you don't forgive them, which is a really high... I mean, there's a lot to wrestle with here about our role in forgiveness being the way of the world. And to have the request be phrased in this way is sort of off-putting. Like, I kind of want the prayer to just say, forgive us. I don't want it to say anything about as I have forgiven, as we have forgiven others. That's like putting a role on me right inside the prayer that I don't want to have. Isn't that just God's to do? Yeah, I mean, there's like a, 
I always feel like forgiveness is, is getting back to that, like orientation idea that we talked about in the last episode, like forgiveness is not just a thing that you do, but it's like an orientation that you have. And I mean, Jesus says, like, you know, like, I think it's Peter that says like, how many times should I forgive my brother that sins against me? Right. Seven times. And Jesus is like, no, 77 times or seven times 70. Right. It's this, like, it basically, it's like, you shouldn't stop being a forgiving person is like, it's like an orientation to forgiveness. And I feel like if we want God to forgive us, we have to be someone who operates in the language or oriented towards forgiveness. Otherwise, how could we possibly receive something that we don't know anything about? Which I think he says that to Peter. I think that's in near this passage of the parable of the ruler where there's a, there's a ruler and a servant who does something wrong and the ruler forgives that servant. And then that servant goes and won't forgive the debt that he yep. is owed by yep. somebody else. Yeah. And Jesus tells that parable is like how, like that doesn't make sense. Doesn't, so then right. that, so then the ruler is mad at the servant who won't forgive, even though he's been forgiven. And there's this like way of forgiveness that we're supposed to live in. Right. And, and it's uh, basically you get what you ask for, right? I mean, that, that's, I, I often see like God's posture being like, if you really want this to not be a loving, kind, forgiving environment, then like, okay, like, that's what you want. Like, but if you want this to be forgiving, then yeah, let's participate in that. Like, there's just kind of this big invitation. Um, and I, and I think that's maybe what's being gotten after here with, uh, forgiving our debts as we forgive those who forgive our debtors it's all like i don't know i just want to hold space for i think it's a complex i think it's complex Mm -hmm. like i want to say that forgiveness should be easy and it's just not and it's really interesting like like there's different spaces like i have there have been friendships that i've had that have ended because of an inability to forgive uh, a mistake error human harm and I don't know like in some ways it has to do with all the other traumas and harms and forgiveness they've had to do in the rest of their life and it's kind of like a boundary had to go up yeah so some ways like I like I respect that I don't I mean I think there's still probably invitation to work and that's probably not always um healthy but sometimes it's what you do in the in the midst of things and then i i i mean with restorative justice there's some really uh interesting work there are people who will like who have had a loved one killed who will go in and like do the work with somebody who's where another family won't forgive them but they'll go in and kind of like stand in to help somebody else do that work and it just I think there's broad ways of figuring out how to do forgiveness, how to be forgiven and how to, yeah, like there's, it's more broad than like, just forgive every harm that's ever been done to you. Because I think for some people that is significant trauma and that's 1000%. Right. Well, and I, I wonder if that's worth pausing to notice the word that's not used here that our translations are, I actually feel like this is one of those times, like when you're doing the Lord's prayer in a church service, depending on whether people grew up Catholic, Lutheran, or Methodist or anything else, this is the point of the prayer where people start saying different words. Like, is it forgive us our trespasses? Is it forgive us our debts? Is it forgive us our, there's another one, huh? Sins. 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 Right. But the word sin is not what Jesus says. Jesus uses the word debt. It's a very specific word. Debt is the best translation because it means something owed. 
though that can, that changes the whole thing (laughs) that though that can be a sin, like there is some history where a sin is a debt that is owed. Jesus could have used the word sin. There is a word for that in Greek that he did not use. He used the word debt in the prayer. Um, and so what I, like when I was sort of doing a cross-reference with my lovely Amy Jill Levine is a great new Testament scholar, everybody, if you want to dig into anything. So she pointed me in her annotated new Testament towards Deuteronomy 15, which is the sabbatical year where debts are forgiven. Hmm. And what Mm -hmm. happens in a community, if we have a time, if we have the sabbatical year and then a Jubilee where debts are forgiven, And how does that kind of tie into this household orientation that we've named of like living in a way that forgives debts? Well, that feels very different than forgiving harms and traumas. And like in some ways, forgiving debts means that you had enough to lend out. And also a debt is like power. Right. If I hold a debt over you, I have that power. I mean, like in middle school, if I borrowed five bucks from my friend, I mean, man, in middle school, back in like the 90s, if I owed somebody 10 bucks or five bucks or 20 bucks, man, that kid had power over me. Right. <laughs> I mean, they would hold you hostage. You, I need you to carry my backpack down the hall because you haven't paid me back. Right. I mean, like, I know this is so minor and like I'm making like light of it, but like when you owe someone a debt, they have immense power and then this is an our statement so it's not just individual it's collective if there's a collective debt that is owed like there's big amounts of power being held over a group and and so you know going back to that deuteronomy idea like you're setting the the playing field back to equal you're basically saying like let's start from a place of equity and equality so that we can see the flourishing of all people because the past isn't going to hold us from that flourishing. Like Mm -hmm. what we've done in the past to make it can't keep us from moving into the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so like, it's almost like we need our food, got to live daily. Like we have to have that. And then if we're going to flourish as a people, we have to be able to reconcile our past, like forgive the debts. If we don't forgive the debts then there's going to be the power dynamic, that's always going to get in the way of us actually seeing each other as brothers and sisters, as opposed to an us versus them. And so we got to figure that part out. It reminds me when I think of debts and, and that sort of equality place, it reminds me of the conversations that happen around things right now, like student loan forgiveness, mm-hmm. where there's a thing, if we're honest as humans, if I'm, if I'm honest, I won't apply this to everybody. I want my debt forgiven. Once my debt is forgiven, I'm okay with your debt being forgiven. But, but to actually like part of what happens in those dynamics is people who have done the really hard work of paying back their student loans struggle with thinking about other people having their loans forgiven. Cause I had to work to pay that back. How, how is it that you don't like that feels unfair. There's an unfairness there that has That means we have this human struggle generation after generation of giving people after us a leg up because it feels unfair to give them a forgiveness of debt that we didn't receive. And can we as humans get over that? Can we struggle towards a different kind of wholeness and generosity towards forgiveness of debts? 
And, and if we can't, if we can't, then we're never moving forward, right? I mean, if we're gonna saddle the next generation, the current generation with crippling hundreds of thousands of student loan debt with jobs that are not capable of paying that off in a timely fashion so that they can, you know, get settled and like buy homes and be a, you know, a productive member of society as opposed to living in a basement somewhere. Um, like we're not moving forward. Like it, it affects all of us. It affects the entire economy. And so like we we're doing it to ourselves, whether we know it or not. And that's the key of forgiveness is that although we think we're forgiving someone else, we're actually setting ourselves free because if they're able to flourish, then I can actually flourish too, because the power dynamic, even though, if, even when I'm holding the power, if I hold the power, it affects me and it affects me in relationship to you in an unhealthy way, even though I'm benefiting from it by having power. And so if I forgive you and get on an equal or equitable playing field, I'm actually a healthier human being because now I'm not operating from a place of defending my power. And so okay. forgiveness I, sets me free. I just, man, Jason just got up on like a soapbox there. Sorry. Yeah, I love no, this reach. conversation. No, it's great. I love the passion. I would say, um, I'm probably not quite as, uh, I would feel like that was you both have some very pure hearted forgiveness. I don't know that, I, I don't know that I'm there. Because in some way, like that equitable comment is the comment that I'm most interested in because I think it's BS that people who can fully pay and like there, like there are people who have money, astronomical wealth that have full ride scholarships and all this other bullshit. Like the thing is, I want it to be, I want, that's not how I don't, I just don't think like forgiveness as a whole, like maybe if, it, if it's across the board for everything, it works. I just don't know that that is actually what happens like and it's a complicated the damn conversation system. is more important than the equal conversation well right? but it I is but, you're it, but i feel like even talking about like a student loan debt hits at why this is so hard as humans because with something like that i don't get to decide it's everybody yep. i don't get to decide who deserves that forgiveness somebody who could pay isn't being forced to pay at the same time as somebody who can't pay is being given that relief that's what happens with an across the board. That's what happens in a sabbatical year. All debts are forgiven. The debts that happened in unjust ways and the debts that were like the person who really ends up wronged is the person who's forgiving what's owed them because the person's just being lazy and not paying them back. Like that is also a debt that exists and all of it gets swept away in the sabbatical year. And, and can I hold that sort of frustration with fairness in order to move towards that soapbox that Jason so lovely got on about mutual flourishing to say, there's something in here that is good for all of us, even as we wrestle with unfairness and parts of it. I think, I mean, it, it hits a little personal for me. My younger sister had to take loans out through a bank mm -hmm. and so she'll never get it forgiven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like she does not have it. And I have people who I know cannot navigate that damn system for forgiveness and they won't get it either. Yeah. And so like, it's that space of like, well, we sure make it hard. Mm -hmm. And I get it. It's lots of, lots of, lots of, it's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And like, who's ultimately paying for it? Like where, I don't, I, I don't understand the economics of it all. And in some ways, like that's where this gets so complicated. It's like the sabbatical year, the year of Jubilee. We'd love to talk about those things. But they didn't really ever happen in the Bible either. <laughs> like in the Old Testament. Right, because nobody could do this. Like this sort of idea of, we're asking God to forgive our debts because we recognize that we are indebted to God for our very existence. 
Therefore, I have a posture towards my fellow humans who are in the same household to say, I can forgive you your debt just as I have been forgiven of my debt. And I can let go of all the unfairness of that. That is a hard prayer. This is a really hard prayer. Oh, it's, 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 it's a crazy hard prayer. And it's like, and it, and it really isn't a new prayer, right? I mean, this is like, we're going back to like Deuteronomy 15. We're going back to the wilderness. We're going back to Genesis, you know, 28. Where, I mean, we're, we've hit on so many different, you know, Hebrew scripture passages because this is not new. Jesus isn't rewriting the Bible in a prayer. Like he's basically saying like, hey, let me just remind you of everything that you should already know and what we should be orientated towards. And it's all of this good stuff that we've really failed to do over the course of like the last, you know, I don't know, 2000 years. And so let's try to, let's try to keep going here. And, and, and for, and for us in 2022, we've still not gotten it for the last 2000 years, you know? And so this prayer is as relevant today as it was 2000 years ago, because we still don't live this way as the church, as a family, as an individual, as a, as a, you know, definitely not as a nation. And so, I mean, it, it's so relevant. Right. Well, I mean, it just, if we look in, it hasn't been that long that we all started owning houses. Mm-hmm. Like debt has become a way of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all like, we borrow for everything. And so like this actually conversation, like feels almost further and further away because of how we've kind of set up our, how we live. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a level of like, you, you can't, you can only control what you can control, right? You can only impact what you can impact. And like, now some of us are going to have avenues into like big impact, right? Like political power or like influence. Some of us are going to have other forms of influence, like on like a church structure or a governing board for like what we do with like, you know, the money that is given in an offering or, you know, stewardship campaigns or whatever. And and one of the things that I always, when I was wrestling with this with students, um, when I was teaching was what does it mean to celebrate Jubilee or to have like this seven year kind of forgiveness idea? And, and one of my thoughts was like, what if the church was, you know, in the, in the offerings it received, it looked around at the community and said, who has medical bills for something that happened to them that are crippling their, their existence? And they are just flooded with these bills. And like, could the church pay those off and say, man, this happened to you? And it, it was man, like life, right? Like it was just unfortunate. And yet it set you back and really hampered like who, you know, that your, your ability to flourish. So let's get back to a place of, you know, forgiving that debt, like literally forgiving the debt that you owe so that you can start to flourish again, you know, or have the potential to. Um, I just think, I, I just wonder like, are we creative as we've talked about, creative enough to reimagine the way things are even in small ways that we get a chance to impact. Hmm. Well, and I think that that goes back to this daily word um, in the bread in certain ways, because there's a way that the year of Jubilee is the natural conclusion to Sabbath, but we jump to the year of Jubilee. It feels impossible because we're at, we're trying to shift our imagination completely in one fell swoop. But the way that that this was set up in the the law was you have a weekly Sabbath. In that weekly Sabbath, every seven days, you stop working and everybody in your community stops working. You have no slaves working that day. It is an equitable stopping of all so that everybody gets a day of rest. If you practice that for seven years, 
then the Sabbath year has a natural flow to it because you've already practiced equality once a week. Now we can do that for a whole year. Now you're going to do that. You're going to keep doing weekly Sabbaths and you're going to have seven Sabbath years before you get to a year of Jubilee. And in that rhythm, the year of Jubilee is almost like a catch-all. It's not dramatic. Like if you've already been doing this, the year of Jubilee should only actually have a few people with dramatic stories. Um, and how do we kind of move towards that instead of just this forgive us like this day? Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. keep doing the work this day, those small steps that lead towards those bigger ways of living. But it's got to start with something like a Sabbath. And I love that because I think it actually leads right into the end of the prayer, right? Where it's like, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debt at least for, as we forgive others, and then lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I've always struggled with what is that, you know, you know, don't lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Like what, what is God going to be the one tempting us? Like why, why is evil suddenly here? And I, and I think it's the, the, the trajectory of like, Hey, if you are getting your daily needs met, if you've reconciled your, your debts and you're able to start flourishing, the danger is you're going to suddenly want to protect that as opposed to get, get, keep giving it away. Right. Cause now if you actually are the one that's flourishing because you are able to build something, like they were in Israel under David and Solomon. The danger is that you're just going to hoard it and you're going to then scapegoat somebody else in order to keep, keep it. And that's evil, right? To scapegoat someone else so you can keep your power is very, very evil. And that's what we see throughout human history. And, and so, dear Lord, please don't let me give into that temptation and deliver me from that evil because I want to be the type of pers- person that when I'm able to start flourishing as a human being and as a part of a community man help me to live into the rest of the prayer that i just got done praying like help me to give it away help me to build equity help me to bring the kingdom help me to to provide daily bread like and and not just provide daily bread so that i gain your power and hold this over you but so that you can get back to a place of equity so that you flourish Uh, well and i think that you know some translations say from evil and some translations say from the evil one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that maybe gets us a little lost <laughs> at first. So we start to wonder about who we need rescuing from, but to sort of just normalize that word evil the way you just did of like, actually like something that's evil is, is something that stops flourishing. How often do all of us need rescue from mindsets and actions that that stop flourishing um and how might we need to be rescued from that i mean it's interesting though to even just read the (laughs) what what the word is translating into because it's like labors annoyances hardships toils perils bad or bad nature or condition i mean as (laughs) i feel like yeah i'd like you to deliver me from the from that stuff <laughs> but, but think about it right? but think about like people that have a lot of power privilege and wealth to keep it is a toil and a labor like and now there's like a lot of comfort that comes with that but like it can be a lot of stress too and it can be a lot of like 
you know, like insular, like, like, man, what am I doing to not lose this? <laughs> I don't know. I'm Jean. not saying, I'm not saying I... it's not comfortable. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not comfortable, but like, I think there, there is a level of like, but like that feels I, like I have to work self-inflicted. So that feels like self-inflicted. Yes. Total, not, but there yes. are people. I'm not saying it's not self-inflicted. That's tr- right. true. <laughs> I think there are people who experience that as actual, like, there's one thing to inflict that toil and drop stuff on yourself. It's another to inflict it on other human beings. Totally think, true. Right. I don't know. Like there's just a little you, bit of attention. You have to do both. <laughs> you have to do both. Well, and right? what if this is, let's just make it a little bit more human maybe and say, okay, there is a place in the Psalms for lament, for getting mad at God, for all sorts of things. So if that's a part of the history of prayer here, we can read this as don't bring us into trial, which God does bring people into testing and trial. Like that's been in the biblical record. Um, deliver us from hardship. If we translate it according to Lisa's could just be a very human prayer of like, I'm too tired, God, like, don't make this a time of trial for me. <laughs> like I can't handle the hardship of it. Like what if it's giving space for us to have those requests? Like this thing is too hard and too heavy. God, please release me from that. I can't handle it right now. Um, And what if we shrink that to say then whether it's a self-inflicted hardship or whether it's an outer hardship, there's a place in our prayers to just say this trial's too hard. This burden's too heavy. Will you please take it from me? Well, maybe and even that it follows up after the conversation around for like forgiving of debts and debtors is the space of a of allowing that like that that could be places where it feels like a hardship, where it feels hard. And like I like just a reminder too of asking, like this is a it feels like asking God to co-create a safe space for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna okay. ask you to kind of co-create a space for me that feels like whole and and holistic and healed and um yeah like I wonder if it's really just because it follows up on some of that hard stuff like because I don't we know it's not easy to be the one that needs to have things forgiven and they aren't when we owe and it's also hard to forgive when you're owed well and it's a collective remember like I mean I think that it's not a it's not an individual prayer it's a collective prayer so like as a as a community may we not be put through the trial may we not have to labor go through toil because gosh that's really hard as a group also if we are a group oriented towards god man if we're doing it well we shouldn't have to like we should flourish as a community because we're we're seeing ourselves that way. Well, I don't know. I, like, this is where I get cynical. And I'm like, well, when the hell have we ever flourished? Like, <laughs> the whole That's Bible a is about people not flourishing. <laughs> right. Well, that, that, I mean, like exactly what Jason said, like, knowing this is a prayer puts it in this space of longing and hope. This is, this is what you should be. Cause this kind of goes back to our question that I don't think we answered back in the beginning of what is prayer mm-hmm. and that prayer actually hasn't been super clearly defined for us. It's some level of supplication intercession. And there's a history of it, of um, in, in the Hebrew scriptures of it being sort of a, 
a begging, a, a, a need, a, an asking. And so to say, this is what we're asking for. It's not saying it's the way it is. It's saying this is where your heart should be oriented and what the kinds of things you should ask for in prayer. If we do that, maybe it'll start to come to pass. Maybe that kingdom will come if you long for this. We've talked so much about this prayer from like the hour to the father all the way through to this trial and, and temptation. I wonder if there's almost a way to like re-say it, but with all of the nuance that we brought in. And I don't even know if I want to attempt it because it might just be like a, 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 a word uh, smorgasbord here. Um, but there's something about like, like, like to the one who runs our house with wholeness, may we as members of this house keep our name and your name set apart and distinct. May we participate in this new ordering of things, this new way of being in the world that reflects wholeness and generosity and love as we participate and co-create in it, in what you're doing in heaven and what we're doing on earth. And may we have enough for today. May we give enough to those who don't have enough for today. May we be people who have an orientation towards forgiveness, both collectively and individually, as we get to a place of equity where all can flourish. And as we flourish, God, help us to operate in a way that doesn't feel like a trial. It doesn't feel like we're constantly tempted to hoard our wealth and to scapegoat someone else, but we're able to do this in communion with you and with one another for the flourishing of all creation. Maybe so. This podcast is a partnership between 40 Orchards and Processing Faith. 40 Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a 40 Orchards study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that, process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about Processing Faith and sign up for a free 45-minute session by going to ProcessingFaith.com. Thanks again for joining us on Searching the Safety.